I'm not sure if you've had the moment yet where you looked at your child or, or one of your children and realized that they were doing something that you do. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, they do what we happen to do. Every now and then when, when Shepard's mind is running quickly and he, he has a really fast mind, I, I will hear him stop as he's processing something that I'm telling him and he will say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. You say that, don't you, Shepard? Wait, wait, wait. And I would always think, where does that come from? Why does he do that? What's taking place inside of his head that would make him need to pause like that? I was sitting in the office across from our administrative assistant a couple of weeks ago in the conference room. And there's this moment where I'm reading something from the Bible out loud to him and he is interacting with me and I said to him, wait, 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 wait. He also is Shepherd's English teacher and he just started laughing. <laughs> He's doing something he's seen me do. We're in Ephesians 5 today and we see this idea of repetition and reflection and imitation. And I don't want us to miss what God is actually saying to us as his people about what our lives should look like because of him. And the things that should be natural because we are people who are in Jesus. That we have a relationship with the person of Jesus. That we are known by Jesus. As I say to you regularly, sermons are for hearers and they are for overhearers. And if you're here in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, whether you are a member of our body or, or not, we hope that God has something to say, we believe that from his word he's going to say something to you today. And I hope that I don't get in the way of him doing that. If you're not a believer, I hope and, pray, and, I, hope and I pray that we have non-believing people who are here every week. That the good news of Jesus will penetrate your heart. And, and if you're wondering if, if this is a bait and switch, as if I'm trying to convince you of something, yes, I want you to put your faith and belief in the person of Jesus. Because I believe that Jesus changes Everything. So let me just start out from the very beginning. We've been in this series called New. And in the series of New, we've walked through the entirety of the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to come to a place in the text where we are called who we are, what we were, and who we're supposed to be. And if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've been made new in Jesus, I want you to hear these two phrases. Who you are is not who you were. And who you were is not who you have to be. Who you are is not who you were, and who you were is not who you have to be. So we, as we look at that, and we consider that in light of this text, you'll see it break down like this. Who you are, who you were, and who you can be because of the person of Jesus. I'm going to read Ephesians 5 over us today. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. I've seen in foolish talking or crude joking, they're not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognized this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty arguments from God's wrath. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. One theologian says this about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection sets me in a world that is not self-contained, but is opened and drafty with the winds of eternity blowing through it. We're to live in this world as if we've seen the next. We're to interact with one another as if this is not all that there is. As if God has done incredibly more, immeasurably more, than we could ever expect or imagine in and of our own power with our own imaginations. So when you look at this text, the first thing that we see before we can ever get to what we should do or how we should do that, we have to see that it tells us who we are. Who you are. Well, who you are in this text is the justified you. That's a big Bible word. Let's not be afraid of big Bible words. It means that God, when He looks at a believing person, sees you in the same way that He sees Jesus. You are perfect, you are sinless, you are blameless before God when you have placed your faith in the crucified Messiah that we call Jesus. You have a hope in God for all of eternity because of the, your blood-bought situation. Your death was removed because of what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, it says, and it lets us know that, you are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And because you are dearly loved children, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering of God. It, it, Peterson says it this way in the message. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. When you look and you begin to consider what it means for us to be a believing people in a world that seems to be more and more unbelieving, though I would probably counterpoint that at, at times, the world has always been immersed in darkness. The way that that darkness manifests just seems to happen to change. But if we are to be believing people, we are to realize that walking after Jesus is more than just the absence of wickedness. It is the presence of love, love as defined by Jesus sacrificial, fragrant offering of Jesus. So when I read a phrase that says that I am to be an imitator of God, I need to see what I'm supposed to be imitating, who I'm supposed to be imitating, and how in the world I can even do said imitation. For us to consider what it means to be an imitator of Jesus, you may be very much like me. I read that phrase and I think to myself, self, you really cannot imitate Jesus all that well. You can barely imitate you on a good day. We ever felt that? How in the world am I supposed to be like Jesus? It reminds me of the cakes that you'll see on your social media feeds from time to time. I love when things are epic fails. Because I feel like I'm an epic fail most of the time. 
I love when people post cakes. One of my favorites is you'll see them post a cake of, of what they want it to look like, and then you'll get to see what it actually is. Here's another one. This is what we want the cake to look like. Some mom saw this cake in some cake magazine, as if cake magazines exist. And she said, man, I can recreate that cake. I can make a cake to look like Elsa. And then this is what lands on her child's table. <laughs> or maybe this one. I mean, just look. like That's a snowman from... It's a very frozen-centric situation we have here. Uh, I believe his name is Olaf. Is that correct? And mom sees the cake. Baby boy or baby girl loves Olaf and all the singing that Olaf happens to do. So she decides to make her Olaf cake, and here's what she gets. <laughs> if I've offended you because this was you when you made your kid's last birthday cake, sorry, you just need to don't do that. Uh, and then... <laughs> This was, uh, uh, yeah, this one, I, that's a Pokemon. I believe it's Pikachu. We're going to make that cake, and then this is what you get. That looks like a battered cat. This is, the, I think, the last one. It's a, it's a lamb just celebrating something that lambs celebrate. And then you get this. That's hateful, Scott. If I paid him anything, I'd fire him right now. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes for us, we look at a text that says that we're to be imitators of God and we realize how much we really struggle with that. We don't get to see ourselves in the way that we see ourselves as believers. I mean, that's helpful. But it's secondary. To be the people God has called us to be and live the lives that God intends for us to live, primarily we must see ourselves as God sees us. That's one of the repeated themes of the book of Ephesians. You're new. And these people at Ephesus needed to hear they were new because their lives were trending at times towards what was. And I would encourage us as a believing people in this room to think through. We need to be reminded of the new thing that God has done in us because our lives have the tendency of trending toward what we were. Imitations... We're to be imitations of Christ. Why? Because God said you can. Hear the things that God says about you. And maybe you need to hear this today because your life is going through something you didn't expect. Or you've made some poor decisions this week. But you're a believer in Jesus and you believe that you're a believer in Jesus. And more importantly, God believes that you're a believer in Jesus. Because of what you see in the person of Christ. Here are the things that God says about you. Children of God, you're a child of God who is loved by God. In this book alone, it says that he knew you before the creation of the world. God loves you. You are beloved. That's a word that's used over and over in the text. You are beloved by God. I don't feel like that. You don't get to decide. God does. You're whole. Well, I feel incomplete. Well, God has said you're whole. You're more than a conqueror. I don't, I'm not the only person in this room who's familiar with the Bible. What are other things that God says about us? Anybody? 
What does Scripture say about you as a believer? What does God say about us as His people? I love this text. I gave you guys a chance to participate. I will put one check in the category of introverts. Introverts win today. This text says that if you're going to imitate God, it's as dearly loved children, dearly beloved children, not to become dearly beloved children. You don't become a child of God through any effort or action, at least not effort or action on your part. You become a child of God through the victory of Christ on the cross. Your sin was defeated and destroyed there. Your death died there. The Bible tells us this consistently. As imitators of God, people who are to imitate God as dearly loved children, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. So what shapes the way that I see love is what I see in the person of Jesus. When I see the crucifixion of Jesus, that gives me a, a picture of, a definition, an understanding in the flesh, literally, of what love looks like and how love works. That we would love in the way that Christ loved. He gave himself a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And if anything that we do as believers in Jesus boils down to... And we're not found to be loving in this sacrificial, fragrant way that Jesus is, then we're missing something. When I read the word fragrant, lots of things come to my mind because I have three boys at my house. But when I read the word fragrant, I also think of going to the movies. I have always loved going to the movie theater, and I like to go into the theater because of the smell of popcorn. Popcorn. (laughs) I like people who would talk to me. Keep it up. And I love the fragrance of popcorn. But from time to time, and honestly here at the AMC in Lake Jackson, on lots of times, that popcorn will be burnt. The idea of a fragrant offering is something that it causes you to, to want to participate, to want to partake, to want to interact. When the pastor talks of us, us being as believers in Jesus, fragrant, what are we doing and in what way are we living that would call someone who is far away to the hope that is in Jesus? Now, we don't get to save people, but for those who were downtrodden, who have decided for whatever reason that their secondary definition of who they are, what's going, what they are going through, gets to tell them how to live. To a believing person, God may use your life to say, no, Jesus is better than that. We just sang it. Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than you being defined by you because you, that's not how this really works anymore. The one who, has, who gives hope for the life of a believer is Jesus. And you as a, someone who follows Jesus in imitating Christ through sacrificial love and being appealing for the sake of Christ. Secondarily, God would use your life in the life of someone who's far from Him. What if God... To pierce the darkness and to pierce the, the things we noticed in the text in chapter 4... All of the weirdness that we see uh, of what sin has done to us, how it has clouded our minds, fogged up judgment. What if God used your life and your life, God doing this through you, 
to call someone to himself because you, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, are, a, are God's workmanship or his masterpiece, whatever translation you prefer. God using his people to be fragrant offerings. There comes a point when we look at this text, we have to realize who we are. You are beloved by God, children of God. You are cared for. You are more than conquerors. These things matter. Understanding who you are, the justified you. But there's some stuff in this text that's tricky. Whenever you, Jared and I had a conversation about going through the book of Ephesians, he said, I love Ephesians, because, and I really like to read Paul's letters because they're just easier to preach than, than the Gospels are. Because the Gospels are, and you're just swimming through stuff. And, but when you read a letter, it breaks down, wicka wicka. You'll see it happen. But here, in Ephesians chapter 5 in particular, the way that it breaks down, it's there, but there's a little bit more moving in the text. We see who we are in verses 1 and 2. In the next few verses, we see what we were or who we were. Well, who were you? The believing person can never lose sight of this. You were this. The justified you is the first portion. Here, who you were, the mortified you, or if that's not a word you're rolling with recently, the dead you. This is what death looks like. We see it in 3 through 8. It comes to its culmination in verse 8, but I don't want, I'm not going to bury the lead. Verse 8 says this. It's the umbrella. It's, it is the way in which we're going to understand 3 through 7. It says this. You, in verse 8 of chapter 5, you were once darkness. Well, that sounds rough. It doesn't even say that you contain darkness. Like that bad brownie illustration we throw out all the time. You put a little bit of mud in brownies, it ruins the whole batch. The whole batch was spoiled. Everything was darkness in you. All of us. Outside of Jesus, before the work of Jesus to make you new... The old you was darkness personified, death magnified, despair on display. You don't just contain it, you were it. You were in an irreparable state where sin would not stop destroying you. Outside of Jesus, you are dying death. Death that won't stop dying over and over and over. You see that in 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, to not have even be heard of among you. Obscene and foolish talk, crude joking. They're not suitable for you, but rather giving thanks. He'll stop just moment to moment and give direction and correction. But this is what you were. 5. 
But every sexual immor- every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, this was what you were, that's an idolater, does not have an inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. We, this, was, this is all stuff that goes under the umbrella of death, and everything under the umbrella of death was us outside of Jesus. When you see in verse 3 that it, it, it refers to the idea of... Uh, Sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you. In another, trans, in another one of the books of Paul, he says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. I played Trivial Pursuit a lot, and I was always the person who would say an answer really loudly and confidently, even though I wasn't correct. Did anybody play like that? People think you're so smart when you do this, even though you miss everything. But the people that I could not stand when you would play Trivial Pursuit with them were those who would ask for a hint as if that's how the game works. This is not a hint game. When it talks about not having a hint here, it's saying to the life of a believer, if you're to remember who you are in Christ, don't be taking steps toward what you were. On top of all of this, as you read this passage about sexual immorality, in the world in which Paul worked, the notion of being enlightened or having light within you was really present. But those who believed that they had light were not the people of God. Those who lived in a, in a way that was immoral in a way that aligns with everything that he says in this text, they believed that they had the light and they'd been given freedom to do whatever they wanted. Pagans viewed their views as enlightened. The ethics of Christians, according to the pagans, meant that their eyes were... They believed that Christians had closed eyes in regard to the grandeur of what sex was. So you read this text and Paul is inverting this, flipping it on his head when he's saying, if you're actually going to live in this world, that's what darkness looks like. And you you guys are a church crowd enough. Most of you have heard the idea of pornography. We get the word from what's taking place in sexual immorality in that passage. When we begin to look at everything that seems to be dark for a believer, the the world that Paul lived in in Ephesus, and honestly, in many situations, the world we live in, in Lake Jackson, things are viewed to be acceptable that that just aren't. They're not healthy for God's people. They, They do nothing to advance the kingdom. Paul uses the, the idea of proper here. The notion of proper in verse 4. It's uh, voluntary obedience. Because you are an imitator of God, because you're dearly beloved, it's a voluntary obedience that was expected of the saints to a standard that could not be logistically or legalistically codified or arranged. So, when it talks about the actions of the saints... He is saying, hear me out, engineer friends, there is not a spreadsheet for this. There's so much at work here, but you can't, it's even more than you being able to list bam, 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 bam. 
It's more, it's more, it's, it's seeing God for who God happens to be and responding because you are dearly beloved by God. It, it, we have a tendency, even those of us who do not engineer, we'll verb it, why not? We have a tendency to believe that if I do this, check, and I do this, check, and I do this, check, that everything's good, all the while missing that we are really celebrating guardrails and not celebrating changed hearts. He says, I don't even want to hear it. Obscene and foolish talk or crude jokes, they're not suitable, so don't be crude. But rather give thanks. Gratitude counteracts what you see here. So the notion of obscene and foolish and crude joking, all things that we are familiar with, and honestly, I've heard some of my guys who are, are working in our community say, speak of the situation that they happen to be in. It, it is good that those things make your hearts, that they startle your hearts. But the counterpoint to those things in this text is gratitude, which means that it's more than just what we perceive to be obscene, foolish, and crude. It's the idea of bitterness and grumbling as well. Those things are in contradiction to a God who is freely giving and freely forgiving of those of us who are in Him. You know and recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, that's an idolater. Does not have inheritance in the kingdom of God. So when you look into a text like this, and you look into the consistent text and the ethic of Scripture, what we'll find is the follower of Jesus has a sexual ethic and is to have a sexual ethic that is culturally unacceptable. It should shock people. The way that we live. The Scriptures have this consistent thread that any sexual behavior outside of a husband and a wife, as the Scripture defines is unacceptable before God. And this doesn't mean that God... When we look at this text, we see we are still interacting with God who is gracious and loving and merciful and caring and calling and inviting. That's who God is. But for the believing person, who you are is someone who is walking away from these things. People who are entrenched to those things, they're, they're not, they are in opposition to the kingdom. But I love what he does in verse 5. As he lists off the things that seem to be problematic and, and even issues, he says, but these aren't kingdom things. But remember, he's still talking, you're kingdom people. Amen. He builds up kingdom people. Would we hear what God says to us? 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Because God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. The idea of the wrath of God there, it's active. It's not passive. It's coming. It's present. God is forever opposed to... So would we hear this? If you're a believing person in this room, and you're working through what it means to live out your faith... God is forever opposed to things in us that are unlike Him. He's just against it. He is not for you being against Him. That should not be a shocker. Don't become their partners. 
This doesn't mean that we cannot interact with those who do not believe. As a matter of fact, the totality of Scripture encourages believing people to be light in darkness, to be hope in despair. I say that regularly. But the idea of us being people removed from sin and sinful behavior should be obvious. It should be declarative. It should be present. Do not become their partners. We look at this text, and here at verse 8, where you get the culmination, the umbrella that I mentioned earlier of all of it, you see a negative to positive shift in the text. For you were once darkness, now you're the light of the Lord. So walk as children of light. It tells who we can be. So we work through the who, who you are, who you were, now who you can be. The, the sanctified you. Sanctification is this Bible idea where we are become Jesus each day that we live. And one of the questions that I ask our folks regularly, if you're a guest here, or, and even my life group and Christians I interact with, are you more like Jesus today than you were when you became a Christian? If not, we need to have a conversation. Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Is there more grace in my life in the way that Jesus displays grace? Is there more forgiveness because Jesus is forgiving? Is there more of a fragrant offering today than there was when I came to know Jesus? Three years ago, I preached the entirety of Romans chapter 8. It's not the first time that I've done it. Actually, a few years ago when I was in Chattanooga, I was wearing a suit and tie every Sunday morning. It was rough. I looked like I was going to sell you prescription drugs. Pharmaceutical representative, not someone else. (laughs) Years ago, when I would walk through Romans chapter 8, I walked through the entirety of the chapter in four weeks. And I was so much more concerned with being right than righteous. It took me six weeks here. I think it tells me that I'm working a little bit that I'm thinking the Lord is doing a work in me. For you as a believing person in Jesus, as you walk with the Lord, as you walk with the people who the Lord cares for, as you're part of a body, because we don't do this in isolation, we, we should see more of Jesus and less of us in our lives. Living as children... So you see, it's just walk as a... The word walk is used three or four times in in these next few verses. It's used three times today. It's used one time next week. And it can be translated live. But that loses a tad bit of cultural significance. Because we use the word live almost interchangeably with being. How you live in, in living color. When we as believing people in our world... Considering the notion of walking as children of light, what Scripture is encouraging us to do is to think about our measured steps. The fruit of the light, verse 9, consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Living as children of light means adopting values that are opposite to our surrounding situation. So when we as believers look at society and it tells us that we are no different than them, and you will hear that. There are those in, in the large culture at large that will say that believers are no different than they are. We just seem to have a different focus. 
Well, that can be true sometimes if you look at our lives. Our fundamental identity and value is being created in the image of God. Who we are as believers is created in the image of God. We're not defined by the things that society has deemed to be valuable and, and to elevate. So as believers in Jesus, we consider what it means to be made in the image of God, created in His image, renewed to the image of God through what God has done for us in Jesus. And that is our identity. Rather than gender or our sexuality, rather than our political alignments, if we are a person in, the, in Jesus Christ, then we have been given a brand new, altogether different identity. Amen. So for you as a Christian, I want you to hear me say, say this. It's why Christians can celebrate being every aspect of life. If you are a believer and you're eight years old, I want you to know that when your identity is in Christ, what God is saying to you is you are just as valuable to Him as someone who's in a different place in life. That can be said for children. That can be said for my single people in the room. And I get numerous single people in this space, and I'm thankful for that. Your identity is not in whether or not that you're married or you have children. It is in the person of Jesus. If you are widowed and you walk through the dark days of losing someone you love, your identity is in the person of Jesus. You're not lesser because Jesus holds you at this high place, this high esteem, just as much as being someone. So we see these things at work in the text. And this identity of being people in Jesus, it trumps everything else. It trumps everything else. So for the, for the married people in the room, you hear me. God values you and He loves you and you matter to Him. Because you are in Jesus. And He has given you the role of being a mom and a dad maybe. Or being a, a husband or a wife. Ultimately, our identity is in Jesus. And He tells us in verse 9, this is what a child of light looks like. Well, there's goodness, there's righteousness, there's truth. And then you'll test what is pleasing to the Lord. I'm thankful that verse is there, though life can be hard. Because it lets me know when there is tension and struggle in my heart and my soul. That God may be working. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness. The wrath of God things. But instead expose them. Again, our society is going to tell us that we are no different in function. But we are different in focus. And that's just untrue. It seems like they're right. But the scripture says to a believer, we don't necessarily identify with any group within our world. Other than other believers who have been brought together through the shed blood, broken body, and resurrection of Jesus. Twelve. For it's shameful it is to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. And what makes everything visible is light. Then Paul, letter writing Paul, outlining Paul, references 
a song. At least that's what most people believe. He says this to a believing people who are struggling in an unbelieving world and at times finding themselves caught in the struggles of said unbelieving world. Get up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Now, if we will remember, those who are outside of Christ are dead and outside of the efficient work of Jesus, they cannot undo their death. But for the believer who finds themselves buried in the muck and mire of what death looks like in this life, you can hear the words of the Lord because He's given you the ear to. You can see the direction of the Lord because He's given you the sight to. You can step the steps the Lord has given you because He's given you the energy to when He says, wake up, rise up, and let's live in the light of Jesus. So would we expose the things in ourselves, whatever we are walking through, struggling with, whatever bitterness, rage, anger that may be in our hearts, to the light that is Jesus and allow our lives to be redefined by Him, to be restructured by Him, to be given direction by Him, to be given hope by Him, because we are to be reminded that who we are is not who we were. She's not... So let's wrestle with that today. Think through that today. As we think through this short, short hymn that the Apostle Paul references. When he says, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Take the steps that God has given you. To remember who you are. Look, here's what's going to happen. Jared's going to come sing songs. And because some of you guys have been churched enough, you're going to think that at the moment he gets on stage, you've got to stand up and start singing. That ain't true. Ain't's not probably a good word. I have English teachers in the room, and I would like to apologize to them for using that. That's not true. It's not. If you need to sit there with your Bible open to Romans chapter 8 and read through it to be reminded of what God has done for you in Jesus while Jared and the band lead us, do that. If that's not your, your, your passage of choice as the band sings over us, open the Bible to John chapter 3 and read what God has done for you in Jesus. If there's a verse that the Lord has used in your life to assure you of what He has done for you in Christ, then open your Bible there and be reassured of what God has done for you in Jesus. Re- remember who you are. Remember who you are because the entirety of our world is going to tell us what we were. That will shape us living the lives that God's called us to live and being the people that God has enabled us to be. Would you bow your heads this morning? If your head's bowed, that's okay. You can have your eyes open. I'm serious when I say this. You are going to want to immediately jump up and begin to sing. And if that's that's what you think you need to do, then that's great. But I know that in a space like this, some of us are having a hard time struggling, walking through something. So open your Bible to to one of the places that I just mentioned or a place that you were secure in and read through what God has said about you and Jesus. Our primary identity is given to us by Jesus. We're always moving there. Let's be imitators of Christ and thinking of the things that Christ has done in our place. Lord, we thank you so much. If you need me, I'm at the back of the room. Lord, we thank you so much.
for your word and the truth that we find here. I pray for these men and these women, for these kids who are here. Lord, if there are any here who do not know you, who have never placed their faith or their hope in you, would you save them today? But Lord, for every struggling sleeper in this room, and I know that there are some of us who are there, believers who have forgotten what it feels like to believe, would we hear you tell us when we can wake up, that we can get up, that we can sing to you? We thank you, Jesus, and we trust you, and we believe this space is yours in Christ's name.